Welcome to my podcast. This is David Suisa. I'm delighted today to have a dear friend, my sister, Leslie Woolman. Hi, David. My sister from another mother. <laughs> so I've, I've known Leslie for a long time. I wrote a column on her called Woolman of Valor. And of the many, many, many things I could say about Leslie, the one thing I will say is that she has the incredible ability to wear many hats. She wears the hat of the community. In, she's involved with the Jewish Federation, a lot of great causes. She's an amazing mother, an amazing wife. And she's also an unbelievable singer. She's a, a singer. Thank and you. years ago in New York, when she was eight months pregnant with her first child, she wrote and performed her own cabaret show. It's yes. unbelievable, Leslie. That was the, my entree into the cabaret music world. It really was. And how did the whole singing thing start? Like well, when, how, singing, how young were you? I was probably four years old, but my first professional gig, I, I guess, was through the synagogue in Winnipeg. You know, I'm Canadian, as you are. Yes. And um, I think the sisterhood wasn't really professional, but I will say I was on a stage with some professionals, so we'll say semi-professional. And it was through the Sherazetic synagogue sisterhood that I performed in some kind of a show, and they needed little, they needed kids. So I was. You remember that? I actually do remember that. Do you remember what you sang? Everything today is coming up roses. It was just, it was about the president of the sisterhood. Yeah, I actually remember it, and it was to that song. Thrilly Modern Millie is the song, and they rewrote the lyrics. I think I might have seen you perform that. (laughs) <laughs> one of your shows, because you've had a whole bunch of shows, I, yeah, and you n- have one I coming up. But but let's go back to the four years old. All right, after that, uh, how? Tell me about the beginning of your musical It was always through journey. Jewish things. You okay. know, I grew up in a very solid, strong Jewish community in Winnipeg. People are always surprised by that. That we had out of uh, half a million people in Winnipeg, twenty-five thousand were Jews, when including Monty Hall, including Monty Hall, mm-hmm. who was married to my. Uh, my uncle's wife's, who was not married, who was the son of my un- great uncle's wife's sister. And so most I of them were from the, from the Ukraine, right? That's the yes. Well, my heritage is Russian, and and may, I think my great one of my great grandfathers was born in Vienna, but the rest were Russian. But I'm actually fourth generation Canadian. Okay, because my great grandmother was born in Canada. So when uh, the U.S. and Canada. Uh, square off uh, during the Olympics in ice hockey. Who do you cheer for? Canada. Oh, wow. Nice. Impressive. Leslie, nice. Don't you? Uh, Believe it or not, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge Laker fan. I love America. It's crazy. I I actually cheer for Canada when they play the U.S. I don't know. I mean, that's where we grew up. That's where my roots are. We're we're outed. But all I I will tell you that my entree in this this whole performing world was through uh, the Jewish community. But you became like, I mean, you're a, you're a recording artist. I've seen you perform. You're really good. When did you say, oh, my God, I can really do this in a serious professional way in, oh, in I, your journey? I think ever since I was a kid, that mm-hmm. was my dream. That was my dream. And as I got closer and closer, like this Jewish folk ensemble that, was, um, that I was a part of as a teenager in Winnipeg brought me to stages like the O'Keeffe Center in Toronto, Place des Arts in Montreal, the Winnipeg Centennial Concert Hall. These were grand stages. And I was a soloist with this company. And we were reviewed by the Montreal Gazette, the Toronto Star, the Winnipeg Free Press. I mean, they were 
I was reviewed. You know, you know what's interesting, Leslie, is I have a lot of friends, and they, they, they have these passions, creative passions, when they're young, and then they get married, and they put those passions on hold for like 15, 20 years, and then they try to get back to it. It seems with you, you sort of kept it going, right? Because I kept a, a small fire burning. <laughs> you kept it, yeah. I never became the star I had dreamed of being, but I always, I did TV. I did Broadway. I had my hand in a little bit of everything. I just never got to that point. Well, how right. many people really do get to that point? Right. But uh, you also had a parallel career. You uh, you went to be a nurse, right? You went yes. to school to be a nurse. How I did that work out? You know, my dad's a cardiologist. My mm -hmm. mother was an opera singer. So you do the math. So I became, yes, I actually, I had studied voice in Boston. I went specifically to study with this voice teacher in Boston. Then I got dance school and I, I went to a, a drama teacher and then I started auditioning and I um, have always written my own music, always. So I did an album um, in Boston and once my visa expired, I had to go back to Canada. So... You know, my dad gave me a choice. I think you should finish your education mm -hmm. or pursue this. Well, I defied him, and I started pursuing it. And then I just there was just something gnawing at me that I never finished school. I loved school. Mm -hmm. So I decided, and I wanted to be a health professional. I, I think I always wanted to be a doctor, but I knew that wasn't going to materialize. So I decided, oh, well, I'm going to go into nursing at University of Toronto. And every year I said I was going to quit, drop out. I, this, this is ridiculous. This you is hung ridiculous. in. I hung in and became a psychiatric nurse. Wow. Because it was the closest thing to acting <laughs> that I could find. And and I worked at Mount Sinai in their psychiatry unit. And then when we, we moved to New York, we got our green cards. We moved to New York, and I worked at Lenox Hill Hospital and a private and as well as a private hospital called the Regent Hospital. It's no longer in, um, in existence. But it's funny, you know, when uh, when I did the column on you, I just said nurse. I never knew it was psychiatric. Nurse. Oh, I could have yes. done a whole separate column on yes. that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, you could. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that. No, I won't shrink you today. Okay. <laughs> just although I need it. <laughs> uh, but speaking of shrinking, look, when you were eight months pregnant yes, so with that your was, first child, that was that's, fun. That was a lot of yeah. I was talk about multitasking. Well, yeah. Who was who was at Yale or that was Yale. And we were in New York, and the club was, funny enough, called Don't Tell Mamas. That was the name of the cabaret room, and it was a very—it still is there. It's still there. And by then, were you uh, still working as a psychiatric nurse? Yes. I had—that was the end. That was—I think that was sort end. of coincided. Yes, I retired <laughs> from my <laughs> nursing career, and I was always singing in New York, no matter what. I was auditioning while I was a nurse. You know, I, I was able to be the charge nurse on the unit that I worked on because it was an evening shift, and I could still, they let me go. They were just so nice to me. If I got mm. in a show, they let me do the show. If I if I had a, you know, a voiceover, they let me do They just let Did me come and go. Did you sing for the patients? No, but I, <laughs> no, but I did do music therapy with the patients. Uh, tell me about that. So that was because I did a semester of music therapy at Michigan State University, and I used it with my patients in the on the unit. Especially the last unit I worked on was uh, chemical dependency, and it was we did a whole relaxation routine with music, and um, you know, with music therapy, you have to match the mood mm -hmm. to the music. Mm -hmm. So if someone is sad you you 
you give them music that is slow. There's there's it's all there's a whole scientific theory behind all of this, and well, it, it's I, it's incredibly therapeutic. You know, the country needs it right now. This would be amazing. Yeah, it yeah. sure does. So the mood is uh, hysterical, mm-hmm. angry. Well, I don't think we would divided. use hysterical music. We would probably then but use something a little to more compensate. <laughs> For that, no, seriously, I, you know, we often Optimistic talk... Optimistic music, perhaps. You know, we often talk here in the news business how politics is a way of dominating our consciousness. And it sort of takes over our lives, and then we start to mm-hmm. forget about mm-hmm. things like culture and music and books and movies and, and food and love and philosophy and poetry. You know what I mean? And all the things that are reflections of our day-to-day life. Right. And, yes, I mean, and, and comments on our day-to-day life. And... It, but politics as a way of infiltrating culture, too. I, I read this article the other day on this comedian. She has a show on Netflix, and it's become anti-comedy because she's so wound up from the, her anger at the politics of today that the comedy is all about that. And it's, it's like anti-comedy. And yes. I read a whole critique of that. Interesting. It is because yes. there's a purity to culture. And music is also very uh, powerful in that way. It, well, it, it is when it's pure, I think. You know, one thing I love about art, like when I'm going to see your show in a few weeks, I guarantee you, you're not going to talk about politics. You're, yeah, you're right about <laughs> I that. I guarantee you. You're right about that. I'm you're not going to make any statements. I could, you but could, I won't. But I just know <laughs> because won't. it's, it's pure. The music is no, pure. It's not the place for it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I just want everyone to enjoy themselves, go down memory lane with a couple of these songs. Um, and just learn a little bit about Canada. Right. So too. we'll get we'll get to yeah, your we'll get to uh, new show in a minute. I want to go back to your journey in New York. At which point in the journey did you meet Jeff, your husband? Oh, well, I met Jeff actually in Toronto when I was in nursing school. So you went together to New York. So that's a great story. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Okay. So I, um, I was studying with my friend uh, for an exam in organic chemistry. And it was Shabbat. And my friend was Shomer Shabbat. Um, and we were studying in her di- on her dining room table. And that night, after Shabbat, they were having their her brother-in-law's engagement party. That's why you told me it's a great story, because you know I love Shabbat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> well done. Good. Leslie. Good point for me. Um, so at the end of Shabbat, she all, oh, they were trying to convince me to go to this party because I was going to meet all these single guys from Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is where her husband was from. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, I'm a bit of a snob from Winnipeg. I'm not going to a party where there's going to be single Halifax. guys from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Can you just... Anyways, her husband brings out a photo album of the guys so I could see what they looked like. I thought that was very clever, actually. It is, yeah. So a I'm flipping through, and I find a picture, and there's a guy who's tall, dark, yeah. and handsome, seriously. And um, I said, well, will he be there? And they looked at the picture. Jeff? Yeah, Jeff. Of course Jeff is going to be there. Now, Shabbat ends. What's the first thing that a uh, clean, organized, tidy person does at the end of Shabbat? Takes out her vacuum cleaner. (laughs) So she's vacuuming the floor, and there's a knock on the door. And I'm the only one that can hear the knock. So I open the door, and there's the guy from the photo album. Jeff is standing after they had been talking to me about him. And nobody could hear the door but me. So I, there he was. And they, she dropped the vacuum cleaner. She, everyone was in shock. So The meal was over by then? He was just coming to drop yeah. off. Yeah, no, it was Motsai Shabbat. Oh, it was, it was gonna, after Shabbat. Yes. Gotcha. So she was, he was just dropping off soda, or as we call in Canada, pop. Pop, right. For the, <laughs> for the party. 
<laughs> and he he was looking at us like we were nuts because we were everyone was staring at him at, with this look of disbelief. It's the guy from the binder. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went to the party, and that was that. Wow. Did you know? I knew immediately. I mean, it was, you know, you hear these stories and you go, yeah, yeah right, in, right, in right. Your case. I seriously knew immediately. Mm-hmm. He took him a little bit of time, but I knew immediately. What yeah. does that never happen to me? I, That's a whole oh. other podcast. All right, don't get me started. Okay, good. So you moved together to New so York. So we moved, yes. So we lived in Toronto. We moved together. We lived in New York. He actually had to finish up articling in Toronto. He also went to university. He's an accountant and a lawyer. Right. So he went to U of T Law School, and he was articling. You know what articling is. That's a Canadianism again. Right. Oh, my God. So many Canadianisms today. Totally. So it's like, a, it's like an internship with mm-hmm. a law firm that can, Canadians have to do after they graduate from law school. So I lived in New York, worked as a nurse, and we saw each other every other weekend for a year, almost a year. And, and how then, did, we, then so, he moved. And then, then he when moved. he moved to New York, how did he react to your music? Oh, he's career? always been so supportive yes. of it. Really, where other people might have run the other direction. He's never done that. He's always, always been so supportive right, and I encouraging. Right, I think he ran with you to an yeah. audition or something. When I yes, when Yale was 21 days old. Right. Yes, right. he did. So <laughs> I, I guess that helped you. Of course. That kept the fire burning all this time. Did yeah. He, did he see your shows? He saw all of my shows, right. every single one. So, right. Yeah. So tell me about how that whole journey evolves. You now have Yale is born. Yale is born. I am. St- I have trying to go continue going to auditions and and it was at that point. I think you wrote about it in the article where I went to the audition for a Broadway replacement and um, your baby was twenty and he was twenty one days old and. I went in there and I and I had just finished breastfeeding him and then Jeff was sitting in the lobby of the casting director's office <laughs> and I went in I did my thing and the casting director said do you really have a 3 week old baby out there and I said yeah <laughs> you know this might be the epitome <laughs> of a And I was at conflict. that point where I just realized you know I think I have to I don't think I can do this. Mm-hmm. I think I have to make a choice. And I, my, being a mother was the most important thing to me. That's all I ever wanted in my mm-hmm. whole life was really? to be a mother. Mm-hmm. I swear. That was the only thing. I, that was really important to me. So I'm thinking, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave my baby every night. This doesn't make any sense. So I made that choice right there and then. And that's when I decided to do cabaret because I could control it. I decided when I was going to do it how much rehearsal time was going to go into it, how many nights it was going to be performed. So that was truly the reason why I started doing this. And then uh, you moved to California. And then I moved to Los Angeles. Why did you move? There isn't much cabaret here. No. Well, we moved for Jeff's career. Jeff is a business manager for people Mm -hmm. in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And so we moved more for him than for me. I thought that was it. My career was completely over. You did? Yeah. And I shelved it for a while. And and Now, when you shelved it... Uh, did you sing on your own? Did you? So I sang. Right. No, I always sang and wrote. For instance, when Serena was born, I wrote a song, and we had a a, a brit bat for mm. her, a baby naming, and I sang it with my very close friend. Uh, we sang. Well, I know I sang a song to her that I wrote, and there was music involved in the entire um, baby naming. Party ceremony. ceremony, I guess. Thank you. So I will tell you. So you know that we're members of Sinai Temple, mm-hmm. and so I would be asked to sing at people's bar and bat mitzvahs, luncheons, 
And I got up to, I was asked to sing Lechi Lach was, was, it was like my song, like, you know, it was like, you know, the theme, if I had a theme song, that was going to be my oh, theme song. Oh, you got to sing a few notes right Lechi now. Lach, to a place that I will, you know, that song. I would sing it at all these bar and bat mitzvahs. Well, one bat mitzvah I sang at the luncheon, the cantor, cantor Joe Gole, who was the cantor of Sinai mm-hmm. Temple, came, um, saw me in the garage a couple days later and said to me, Leslie, I love your voice. Would you consider singing at the uh, Yom Kippur services? So I said, sure. So we sang this song that Mayor Finkelstein wrote. It's a duet called, it's called Sim Shalom, and it's the most exquisite. Sim, no, it's, Sim it's, Shalom. No, 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 no. This is beyond. This okay. is gorgeous. I don't even want to sing it. I'll ruin it. it oh, no, it's you a duet. To. Just give me, a, give us a few notes. Sim Shalom. No, I'm not going to do it <laughs> because I'll ruin it. But it is on the Sinai Temple CD. Okay, folks. It's on their website. All right. Um, but it's, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And, the people responded. They wrote in letters mm. to him. They they love this song. So I've been doing it for over 10 years. No kidding. And this is part of my audience, Sinai Temple. They are the most incredible community. So it became like a tradition? A tradition. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you, there's always a little Judaism in everything that I have, in every aspect of my, and my is career. That, is that through your Sinai Temple connection? Yeah, so if Joe had not heard me that afternoon... And had not spotted me in the garage that day and not put me on the bima with him singing that particular song. I'm telling you, so many people. I mean, yeah, it's just incredible. Craig Taubman heard it. Everybody Mm -hmm. was, you know, that snowball effect. Yeah, a rabbi once told me it's impossible to be angry when you sing. I think singing is the most amazing thing. At a Shabbat table, music. There's, There's a melody that I used to hear every year on Yom Kippur. So Ellie Wiesel came to Sinai Temple to celebrate the centennial Sinai Temple, and I was on the committee for that. And so um, one of the things I got to do was host him for uh, lunch, uh, mm-hmm. Shabbat lunch in, in our home. Mm-hmm. And he loved to sing. And we're sitting around the table. My parents are sitting at the table with us and um, other people that were on the committee. You sang Shalom Aleichem? Was it we, Friday night? He or taught, it, no, it was a Shabbat lunch. Mm. And he taught us a nigun. Mm. And my dad no is still talking about it. Mm. He, it was like having it? an out of, no, I don't mm-hmm. remember it. It was like having an out of body experience. Oh I mean, my God. Uh, is this really happening? Ellie Wiesel is sitting at my table and we're s- learning a nigun and I'm singing a duet with him. Can you imagine my parents? Yeah, there's nothing like it. I I really do think today we're like drowning in words. It's too many words. We're we're talking too much, you know, and there's something that happens to me when we start singing at a Shabbat table. You just like, you just elevate. Like the the nigunin, you know? Music elevates the soul. um, This melody that I used to hear when I was a kid growing up in Morocco, uh, it's just, you know, like you take it out once a year and then you put it back in the safe because mm-hmm. it was only done on Yom Kippur. It like kept me connected. It's, uh, and it, it, it moves us. And so one day I'm alone with Michael Jackson in his house at Neverland. And, uh, you know, we were a whole bunch of us and Shani was there. Hello, Shani. And Tova and all that. And there was Rabbi Shmuley Boteach. And, he, you know, at the time I was hanging out with him a lot. And... Um, he had done a, um, an article for us for La Magazine, Michael Jackson did. And as everyone was milling around, I ended up alone with him. And he asked me what my favorite melody was. 
And I said, well, you know, Michael, it's a, it's a song from my synagogue when I grew up in Morocco, <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. And he asked me to sing it because we talked about uh, how we, you know, my love for melodies. I have a deep love. I don't know if I ever told you this, no. Leslie. I have a deep love for melodies. I had no idea. There are certain melodies. I can't imagine my life without them. Yeah, there's Hasidic melodies from Shlomo Kalbach, Sephardic melodies. Something happens, the melody, and without any musical instruments. Like, I've had these moments, these long fabrengans and Shabbat tables where we would sing for hours. Um, and it's really reminds me. So today, because I think that you're the first musician and musical person that I'm oh. doing a podcast with. <laughs> so I'm really going there. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? On the yeah, power of so music. Yeah, so I want you to. I had no idea. None of this. It, this is all news to me. Yeah, and I, it's news to me that you were doing that uh, tradition on Yom Kippur. Oh, Bill, you don't go to Sinai Temple. Yes, it is. I do go once in a while. It is an But my mission song. now is to find that nigun from Elie Wiesel. Oh. Yeah, maybe your father yes. remembers it. Maybe David Wolpe remembers it. He might. He might, yeah. and maybe uh, Elie Wiesel's wife remembers it, because I know yeah. her. Yeah. Oh. So, so you've stayed in contact with your love for music. As you, oh my gosh, you yes. started raising your kids, yes. you're involved and, with and the community. As you know, there's not a lot of cabaret here in L.A. There are jazz clubs. Correct. And there are small 99-seat theaters. And that was your big move when yes. you finally so decided to Yes, so I finally decided I'm going to do my first show, and it was um, most, it was autobiographical This thing in called nature. Love? No. Was that your first one? No, my first show was um, on Broadway. Okay. When was that? It was actually done at the Jazz Bakery, which is no longer in existence, near the Helms that. Bakery. Yeah. So I did a show. That was my very first... Oh, no, what am I saying? My very first show was at the Gardenia Supper Club. Now that is on <laughs> Santa Monica Boulevard in La Brea. It's like it holds about 60 people. That was my first show. And it was mostly, um, it was called What Is This Thing Called Love? And I just grabbed songs. This Thing Called Love, right? Yes, yeah, so songs from, brought mostly musical theater because my background is really musical theater. You'll hear it mm -hmm. in my voice. I have more of a theatrical sound to my voice. But... That was my first show, and then... How did you pick the songs? Oh, just songs I'd always loved singing, I think. That was, it was an eclectic group of songs. And my, I, I met my writer and director at Sinai Temple, Rick Lieberman. Gotcha. And he, he worked on that show with me. He's worked on all of my shows with me. Um, he's and all, that's he's when you saw, my God, I can make this happen. Uh, yes, well, How and, and he encouraged me, mm -hmm. and w we found Mike Asher also... It was a connection at Sinai Temple, and we found Mike Asher, the brilliant Mike Asher, musical director, arranger. You've had the same team. I have. Since, I have. you know, it's been, what, I 15, have. 16 I'm, years, yeah, right? I'm very comfortable with them. Yeah. And they're just, we speak the same language now. You know, Rick will make an adjustment. He knows just what to say to me to get the emotion that he is looking for. And how old were your kids when you started, 2002? Um, they were young. They were like, young. Yeah. They were young. 10, so, 8, 7. Oh, le yeah. less. Yeah. You were in carpool lanes as you were I was. practicing. I was. You show you getting were. Getting up really early. And I you don't know how I days? did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard. It was, but I didn't, it wasn't hard because I loved doing it. If you love doing something, it's not hard work. Did it's a it lot of work. Make you a better work. mother? Well, I think it did because I was happier. I was more fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I had totally shelved it, there would have been an emptiness. That's a real lesson, you know. You know, there was there was a Shabbat morning. It was a family minion, and I wasn't in synagogue. I was somewhere else. 
that morning, but Jeff went with Yale. And they must have had all the kids there, and somebody had asked Yale, or asked, Yale raised his hand, what they would like to see vis-a-vis -vis their family, and he said, I want to see my mom sing in public. I want to see her be able to perform. Oh, my God. And He's Jeff a came back and guy from the beginning. reported back to wow. me. Wow. And I incredible? want 10%. How sensitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely in the right yeah. town. It is. It is a beautiful thing for a child to say. Yes. I want to see my mother sing. It's so selfless. So that was really that. Yeah. And then I just, I decided just to just. So then we did the show Jewish Women in Song, mm -hmm. and I it really that. paid tribute to that was your. That's where you first mm -hmm. heard me at the mm -hmm. Pico Playhouse, and it later moved to the AJU to the Gindi right. Auditorium. That's where right. I, I did most of my shows were there, and then they revamped the whole Wizen. Uh, mm -hmm. Center. So then, uh, that's when I went back to performing at the Pico Playhouse, which is more of a cabaret feel. It's an, it's, it's a small. little stage. It's, it's a little small, stage. It's intimate. Yeah. yeah, I mean there just aren't a lot of venues in the city, right. unfortunately. Right. Um, but Jewish Women in Song was really successful. I I was able to tour it to a lot of cities and perform for the Federation. Right. I went to Houston. Right. I went to West Palm Beach. It was just there was there were a lot but, of you know it's a it's a real issue I think because uh, no matter how much we love our kids, no matter how satisfying it is to raise our kids, it's a lot better when there's something creative that you can do in your own life as you raise them. You know, I think so. You know, because kids have a way of owning us when we raise them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I remember when I was uh, in my ad agency days. I was just caught up with, in that case, it wasn't just the kids. It was the kids, but it was a uh, sort of a commercial enterprise. And I just felt I needed something more creative. That's when and yet I, you were in such a creative field. Yeah, but the creative was just commercial. Right. It was just commercial right. stuff. It, was just it wasn't for you. It, it, right. It was right. mostly about making money and stuff. And and I just find this need, this deep need to like, create stuff. And that's when we started Ola Magazine that is sort right. of like me. It's like when you create your own show, it's all, it's your vision. Well, it's and it's it happened organically and yeah. it's authentic. That's the word of the, yeah. It's the word of our times right now, right? To live authentically. Yeah, we and to be true to yourself. Yeah, and and uh, and I've seen you know like it, it's great to raise a family, but we have our own private, deep inner needs for creativity. Yes, and I it's, think when a person denies them. They're yeah. not whole. They're not complete. Well, and kids sense that. They do. And that must have been what compelled Yale to say that. Does he remember saying that? No, I don't know uh, if he does. Okay. He's listening. So, <laughs> so I, I've seen your shows. I've seen since uh, the Jewish Women in Song. And I thought they were terrific. You bring in a little humor and stuff. And then you've done a few others. Well, cabaret shows are thematic. So I've always had a theme. So Jewish Women in Song was celebrating 14 Jewish women who either wrote or performed music. So that we ran the gamut from Sophie Tucker to Barbara Streisand to Bette Midler, Janice Ian. It was everything. It must take a, a lot of button. time to really craft. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. uh, it does. It does. It takes a couple years to really craft. And then I go in and I always record an album with every show. Right. So um, then we did On Broadway. And that was all Broadway songs. And how do you make your decisions? Do you work with Asher and Lieberman? Yeah, so Michael and I, Mike and I sit down and we start going through songs, just going through music. It's a real process until we find songs that suit me or but that I like But the theme you come up with, the woman the in The theme, songs. I can, well, so 
I'll give credit to Rick Lieberman. He came up with the Jewish Women in Song. And then I wanted to always do Broadway music. And then Mike thought, well, if we're doing Broadway, let's do In Hollywood and do movie music. I love that. So we did that. And then All of Me, All of You was crazy how we came up with that. Tell me. We started going through songs, and they were mostly standards. And when we looked at the titles, all of the titles were parts of the body, had parts of like either the eyes, the lips, the heart. Mm-hmm. And by the time we were finished, we realized, oh, my God, all these titles. So that's when we came up with all of me, get it, and yeah. all of you. And if you if you look at each title, you'll see that they are all parts of the body. Right. Um, I mean, and it you... was Jeff Wallman that came up with the idea of the Great Canadian Songbook. Uh-huh, which is your very Which is latest. our next and show, yes. Yeah, how long you've been working on that? Well, that we've been working on for, I would say, three years because, mm-hmm. as you know, I wasn't able to do it last winter. And so we're doing it now in November, November 14th, 15th, 17th, and 18th at the Pico Playhouse here in L.A. And it was Jeff that came up with this idea, and Mike would always brush it off. Like, what are you talking about, the great Canadian songbook? What, what, could, you poss- what could we possibly do? But there is a plethora of fabulous Music well, by Jeff Canadians. Jeff is thinking about that famous night on Saturday night while they were, uh, while, while your friend was uh, vacuum cleaning. Who's <laughs> the Canadian guy from Halifax? Yeah, from but the, there's Gordon so Lightfoot, he, there's Joni Mitchell, and, and I still, I'm still song. amazed that people don't know that Joni Mitchell's Canadian. A lot of people they, have said to me, "Oh, I did, Katie Lang, right? Michael Bublé, Alanis Morissette." Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I got my all-time favorite song here. Which one? Dance Me to the End of Love. Oh, I know. You love Leonard Cohen. Well, there's no one like Leonard Cohen. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like the all I know. You played that on something (laughs) that you did for... I don't know what it was, but it was years ago. Yes, with that French-Canadian jazz singer was singing it. Uh Can't think of her name right now, but it's a great song. It's a great song. And um, I found it when I was looking for music for Serena's Bat Mitzvah video. Uh, I have your CD in front of you. By the way, it's amazing. You still do CDs. My kid has no idea. Well, what a I CD don't print is. as many of the CDs, so. and a lot of cars don't even have CD players anymore. But you can purchase my music yeah. on iTunes and Spotify. Oh, they will. Yeah. So I'm looking at the order here. Uh, I haven't met you yet. Is this going to be the order of your show? Yes. Okay. That is actually the. So order I'll just of come show. for the dance meet to the thing. I'll just yeah, <laughs> just want to hear. No, I want to hear yeah, all the excuse songs. Excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. So you've been really working on this for a few years, and so we we have. Um, you know, I was supposed to do the show last winter, and as you know, my dad had right. a, a pretty bad accident, and he's he's fine. Um, but as a result of that, I don't know if we were going to get into this now, but we might as well because maybe it could help people. I don't know. But um, I woke up about 10 days after his second surgery. to he, he fractured his neck. I woke up after his second surgery one morning, and I sing every single day of my life. Every you day. Do? Every day. Every Where? day. In the car? Well, I pr- I warm up my voice mm-hmm. and then I sing in the car at home, whatever I am. I'm always sing- I'm always singing. That's fascinating to me, Leslie. That you really you do that. I think you have to. It's a muscle. Mm-hmm. You have to exercise it. I and mean, if you get up every morning and exercise, I get up every morning and I exercise and I sing. And I couldn't sing. I I'm literally couldn't sing and I freaked out. Is that the first time? The first time. I felt my speaking voice felt weird to me, but my singing voice was uh, I had no middle or upper register. And it took a series of ear, nose and throat specialist. Uh I went 
it, it, he, they couldn't find anything wrong with my vocal cords hmm. until finally he saw that the muscle was tightening around the cord and they call it muscle tension dysphonia. And I had to go to speech therapy. I had to see a therapist, psychotherapist. I had anxiety over your what was happened happening to with my your father. Yes. And they see this all the time. They, they, they told me they see this with you know, people who have been traumatized, whether it's physical trauma or emotional trauma. In my case, it was emotional trauma. And so I went to a, a healer. Wow. I went to through therapy, uh, speech therapy, and was constantly uh, checked by an ear, nose, and throat specialist. You know, so this is not something easy to undo. Oh, my gosh, no. So this took about... I would say this took a good six six months until it was until I felt it was a hundred percent back to normal. Because you can talk, you just couldn't sing. Right, but even right. in my speaking voice, I I would crack. My voice mm -hmm. would crack. I was I could hear it in in my voice, yeah. and other people could hear it. But that was absolutely terrifying to me. I didn't think I'd ever sing again. Then I had to think about my life. Well, what happens if you can't sing again? What do you do? How do you do that? You just talked about how you have to fulfill that part of your yeah. Creative, right? Mm -hmm. How do I? What, what would I do if I can't sing? That's how I define myself through my music. I'm a singer. That's that's part of who I am. So thankfully, thank God, it 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 all healed and I'm back to normal. Well, it's fascinating because you know I think of you know if, if a writer goes through a trauma, and I wonder if it's a similar kind of obstacle that comes up. I think that I know? mean for me it attacked the place I hold most dear, which is my voice. Right. But apparently the voice is the place that is typically mm -hmm. affected by these kinds of things. So there is hope, and most people's voices do return, but people should seek help because it can it, it, it really does um, work. Well, it's, it's fascinating because we always have to talk. So if somebody we always goes have trauma, to talk, and, and it's like your voice is locked. You know, I can't help myself. I have to bring up uh, the woman who testified. It felt like her voice was breaking. Didn't it? Yeah. And she wasn't but crying. Those hearings. She wasn't crying. Correct. You can look at I thought so too. Mm -hmm. Because it didn't it, it, it felt was, like it was a broken voice. Right, because she was reliving the trauma. Yeah. So interesting. It's incredible. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting yeah. that you brought that up because I felt the same thing and I kept looking at the clip and they kept re airing it and re airing it and she isn't I don't see any tears. But it, yet it sounded like her voice was Right. Trapped. Right, exactly, yeah. trapped. So yeah. what, what happened in those three months, you think, that made the biggest difference to get your voice back? I think just a lot of, of talking about the trauma, talking about the anxiety, talking about, you know, I, was, I think I was just afraid my dad was going to die. Mm -hmm. And so I, have, I happen to be extremely close to him. And so I just, I just have talked and talked about it. And the healer, was that was an incredible journey. He's, am, he's amazing. His name is Arash Jacob. Well, he gets and he gets into your subconscious, and he he says he feels words. Wow! It's he's a spiritual healer. He's an osteopath by training, but he's a spiritual healer, and and it was incredible what he was saying to me and how he was talking to me and unlocking, make, making the connection between my dad's second surgery where they went in through the throat, and I lost my voice, not my dad. My dad, one of the potential side effects would have been that his, he would have lost his speaking voice. Right. And 
I was the one that lost my voice. It was, on, so, it was as if I took it on for my dad. And and all that was through his words. He was entering words into your consciousness. Yes. He was getting things from me. He would tell me words like I'm getting fear or I'm getting I have to do this. I ha-, he, All these phrases that once we sat and made the connection, I would go from his office, we would talk about it, and then, we'd go, then I'd go to therapy, and we would decipher all of these words and how, what this meant and, and talk about it. It's just really talking about it and mm-hmm. time, of course, time. With the right words. Yes. With the right yes. words. I remember uh, I was reading this book on uh, quitting addictions, and the cha- I went to the chapter on quitting smoking. Mm-hmm. And it said when it, the words are so important because if you say I want to quit smoking, that introduces anxiety into yourself. It makes sure, you pressure. nervous because it's, a lot it's of pressure. pressure. Mm-hmm. I want, and one little change to the wording, which is I am allowing myself to be a non-smoker. Interesting. That's the mantra. Yeah. I'll never forget that chapter. I am allowing myself to be a non-smoker, and that's how I quit. Yes. Yeah, 15 years ago, cold turkey. It became a mantra. And it was like it just, it was like it reduced anxiety. Right. And it, it is words. So in a sense, we're redeeming words here in this yes. yeah, conversation. I, I do, do you remember that. other words he said? Fear that, was a lot. Uh-huh. Um, death. Right. He made you confront. He made me, yes, confront the possibility. And then right. I, I thought, well, I better get a handle on this now. I see. I yeah. see. So, um you know, there's so many things I've forgotten. I mean, he was literally pulling them out of my subconscious. I see. It's, I it, see. it's incredible. So interesting. It really, and it, there's, you know, so many people go, you know, they roll their eyes. It's nothing to roll your eyes at. It was for real. It's for real. Yeah. It's for real. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about uh, physically? Did you have any force Nothing. exercises? Had, oh, yes. Well, I did. I did. From the speech therapy, I had to open up the back of my throat. I, I had see. a lot of exercises that I had to do, uh, making sound through a straw to open up the back of your throat, all all of these things. Um, but the, I had a team of experts. Wow. So wow. it was me and a team of experts that, that really recovered my voice for me. Yeah, it takes a village. So now you're back yeah. to your old team and... God, I can't wait so to see So we're back, show. and we were in November full 14th, rehearsal. Right? November 14th, it's a Wednesday night, 14th, 15th, Friday, no Shabbat, Shabbat. No yeah. Shabbat, no Shabbat. Saturday at 8 o'clock, we reopen, and Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. So if some people want to do a matinee, they have that option. And the Pico Playhouse is on Pico Boulevard, just west of Beverly Glen. Exactly, in my neighborhood. So, Leslie, tell me more about your band. So... For this show, we have piano, bass, and drums. I always have a trio, piano, bass, and drums. But this particular show, we added guitar and cello. Mm. And that just elevated the entire uh, music. How many pieces in the band? So five. It's a quintet. But the cello adds a dimension that you wouldn't expect. Most of these songs are pop music because the Canadian artists that I'm celebrating are, you know, pop artists right. um, so having the cello is a bit of a surprise do you have the cello in my all-time favorite song I sir oh I you do sure do you know what so <laughs> let's end this podcast on my favorite song dance me till the end of love and also I uh, forgot to mention that she has a fabulous website called fabulously oh that's my blog yeah yes, your blog I so do. everything's stylish I do have a blog. It's a fashion and lifestyle blog. So every week there's a fashion post. You know, I'm passionate about 
I've seen my it. My fashion. Yeah. And there is a recipe every week. Any and Sephardic my res- recipes? No, but I think oh. it's time for Mimi to teach me yes. a few recipes, don't okay. you? Mimi is I- David's mother, by the way. And, and we're very close. And, and Leslie's biggest fan. <laughs> so I'm going to try to get her out. Um, but all my recipes are actually, um, they're, they're kosher. I never mix milk with meat okay, <laughs> in any good. of my yeah. recipes. I'm very so. conscious of that, actually. Good. Good. It's rabbi-friendly. So, <laughs> yeah, you can check her out on Fabulously. How do you spell it? F-A-B-U-L-E-S-L-E-Y. That's how I spell Leslie. Dot com. And we'll see you all at the show at the Pico Playhouse. Oh, I hope if there's so. Room. Come on out, eh? Yeah. We're going to have a great eh? time, eh? Like, where's your accent, David? I haven't even heard it all day, yeah, eh? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. You have that Montreal accent. I can yeah, hear it. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm going to roll my it. L's now. And... <laughs> and it was great. We're looking forward. Leslie, congratulations. Thank you, David. Thank done. you for hosting me yeah, today. Looking forward to your show. Leslie, woman of valor. <laughs> bye bye.
To the end of love. 